Um, I just want to start by saying hi to my girls. They were so excited that mommy was going to be on TV in the living room. So hi, Ellie. Hi, Abby. Um, yeah, when Shell mentioned this, but when he did ask me if I had something to share today, I actually already knew what it was. I, I've had a profound burden for a long time to lead others in lament. It's not a comfortable place for me, but it is something that I desperately needed. Uh, I needed myself at a time in my life when the way that I related to God didn't make sense anymore. I needed someone to model this and to teach it, to give space for it, and to lead me. I hope that this time provides a bit of space for that for you today. I'd like to start with prayer, and my prayer will be one of both lament and hope. Thank you, God, for my brothers and sisters who I know are listening, whether they're here or listening online. Thank you so much for our church. I'm so thankful for these people. I know, Father, that there's pain in this congregation. So I want to pause and I want to ask, why? Why me? <laughs> How long? Where are you? And yet at the same time, I want to remember. I want to remember how you've been with me. Remember your promises. Remember hope in the resurrection and the life to come. The ways that you suffered for me. The ways that you suffered with me and how you've restored my soul. Amen. Um, so a bit about myself. I, I first had a very profound need to lament when my husband, he, he went and uh, had a routine eye exam at the optometrist's office. And then he was sent for blood work. And being sent for blood work took Felix off guard a little bit, but he didn't say anything because he didn't think much of it. The optometrist called him later that same day and told him that he had all the signs of leukemia. And she was referring him to a hematologist to confirm and find out what stage he was at. He kept this to himself for, for a night, and the next morning, after we dropped our daughter off at daycare on our way to work, I was like, what is wrong with you? Um, so I started grilling him in the car, like, why are you acting so odd so morn all morning? He pulled the car over, and he took a deep breath, and then the look on his face made my heart feel flat. I remember holding his hand, trying to think, okay, what on earth could be so wrong? Um, and we went from that day to almost a year of testing and different drug trials and chemo. And there are three types of treatment that um, put, could put this type of leukemia into remission with simply a drug. Um, the first one <laughs> paralyzed Felix's stomach and bowels. So that didn't work. <laughs> he was in the hospital. And then the second one, um, it later then failed to put the leukemia into remission. But the next drug, after a few months of side effects and quarantine, it put him into um, a drug-induced remission. And so Felix will be on this chemo drug treatment the rest of his life. And throughout this entire time, there were so many moments where I would become completely numb in how I related to God. 
I just didn't know what to do. Some people would say, oh, pray for a miracle. And of course, of course, we did and we still do. But I really had to cry and I had to get angry. What I needed more than anything actually was permission. That it was okay to do this before God. Somehow, however, if I lamented, it felt like I was somehow giving in or being less faithful. So some of you may just be beginning a long journey of lament. I don't know where you are. Please know that lament is really this, oh, I listened to this nice lament sermon, now I'm all good. Um, I think David, he lamented his entire life. When we look at Job or Jeremiah, Jesus, what did they do? I think the thing that they did that blows me away is that they all refused to let go. I think some of our lament journeys are going to be long, and lament is when we don't let go, even in light of innocent suffering like Job's. And this is one of the profound reasons that I believe lament is one of the most powerful forms of worship. I, I want to share with you some examples of people lamenting in scripture. Scripture has both written uh, laments, such as the Psalms, which you're probably familiar with, and I'll share a bit about that in a minute. But it also has examples of people in seasons of lament, and I want to share a few. Naomi. <laughs> Naomi is so honest in her lament that she questions God, very honestly, and she also changes her name. <laughs> she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Hannah, Hannah so honestly laments her infertility. And she does it in the temple. And she's lamenting so honestly that the priest actually thinks she's drunk. <laughs> um, it says in 1 Samuel 1, Hannah wept and would not eat. Eli thought she was drunk, and he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. And she said, not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I've been pouring out my soul to the Lord. Don't take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great grief and anguish. And David, David lamenting the death of his child. This son was the product of rape and murder. And David is, he's repenting, he's lamenting, he's fasting, he's pleading with God. And then when the child dies, he responds with numbness, which is a typical first response in grief. Second Samuel 12, 21 says, his attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, and now the child's dead, you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let this child live, but now he is dead. Why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Elijah, Elijah experienced so much disappointment and trauma that he lamented of life itself to God in 1 Kings 19. It says, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush. He sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, 
I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. Three times Peter denied that he knew Jesus. Jesus was someone he called Lord, someone who was his very close friend. And scripture says he wept bitterly over this betrayal and he truly lamented his sin. You know, Jesus himself lamented when he was told that Lazarus had died. In John 11, 32 to 36, it says, Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him and she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see, see how he loved him? The thing about this passage is that Jesus knew that Lazarus was already dead before he even got the news. I mean, he's God incarnate. But still he cried. He also knew that Lazarus would be alive again in moments. He knew what his plan was, but still he cried. Jesus knew that death here is not forever. He knew this better than any of us. He knew eternity and the kingdom, but yet he wept. Jesus wept because knowing the end of the story doesn't mean that you can't cry at all the sad parts. And Jesus is called a man of sorrows. And God the Father laments. God's emotional. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think of God as being out there and removed and in his own sort of emotional euphoria. <laughs> um, this is far from the truth that I know, but it can still be my default view at times. God is with us. He is suffering as we suffer. And you know, 1 Samuel 15, 11, God regretted making Saul king. God has emotions. God regretted making man in Genesis. He, he relents evil. He weeps. He gets angry. Isaiah 53 says, he, meaning Jesus, was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and he bore our suffering. God is with us in our lament. And I'd, I'd like to add here that some of us may actually want to seek further counsel or prayer even after hearing this, um, depending on what your lament is. I really strongly encourage it. Felix and I, we actually really love the professional counselors we have had over the years. Um, it's just such a privilege of learning from them and being healed by them. Um, I'd like to switch now and share uh, a few examples of actual written laments, um, prayers through the scriptures and the Psalms. Um, to illustrate, the, I'll just begin with the story. Um, you know, I remember a friend of mine, she called and she told me that her baby's ultrasound showed a very weak heartbeat. So we were sobbing on the phone, sorry, <laughs> because the fetus was dying and she would soon miscarry. And she said, I don't know what to do. <laughs> should I pray for a miracle or should I just cry? This was actually my question at the time as well. But after reading through the Psalms and digging into the lament Psalms especially, I still remember this light bulb moment I had when I realized we can faithfully do both at the same time. 
we can lament and we can lament with hope. And uh, if we don't lament with hope as the psalmists do, we really only have three other options and I'll, I'll illustrate them for you here. I think there's a slide for that. Thanks guys. So there's a hope lament quadrant. Um, essentially, if you have no hope and you have no lament, um, then you're just sort of detached and stoic. <laughs> you're not feeling anything. Um, but if you do have lament um, without hope, without a secure hope that we have in Christ, you just have this unrelenting despair, I think. And, you know, for some of us, we have hope, and we know this hope so well, and we've learned it so well. Um, and we feel like, it's, it's only faithful to be hopeful, but with, if we don't have lament, we actually just have this naive sense of optimism. Um, if we have hope and lament together, then we are faithfully suffering. You know, lament is the largest psalter. So what I'm saying is numerically, the largest book of music in the Bible is lament. <laughs> they sang a lot of laments. We should sing a lot of laments. The lament psalms, they sometimes take on a pattern. There's a lament, a pouring out of lament, honest lament. Some of it is brutally honest. <laughs> and then after that, there's often a symbol. In Hebrew, this symbol is called the vav adversative. And it looks a little bit like a flag. If you were reading in Hebrew, you would know that this symbol means that there's a wind of change coming. This symbol is often translated very simply in English as but or therefore. And then after you read this, the psalmist then begins to remember reasons to hope. Whether that's reflecting on God's faithfulness in the past, putting hope in his promises for the future. And so we see both lament and hope. Lament that then later resolves itself in praise. So Psalm 13 is typical of this pattern. First, there's a complaint, and I'm going to read it through for you. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But, here's the, the Vav adversative. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Um... Oh, I was going to mention some books. So <laughs> I was going to mention, this is Michael Card's book. Um, I'm going to share a bit from him in the next moment. The, um, the Hope Lament um, diagram that I showed comes from Kelly M. Capic's Pap book called Embodied Hope. Um, can't see it around the candle there, but there you go. Um, so Michael Card in his book called A Sacred Sorrow, he says that the Bible is a journey from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible begins with Torah, law. If I'm obedient, God will bless me. If I'm disobedient, God will not bless me. 
this is where we begin. But God is taking us somewhere. The important idea is that we're going somewhere. We're going from Torah obedience to intimacy. And intimacy is a deep desire within God's heart. God's heart is to be with us. You know, what happens when we obey? Scripture tells us God walks with us. What do we call Jesus? We call him Emmanuel, God with us. What do we call the climax of Revelation? They say, well, at last, the dwelling place of God is with people. And what was the tabernacle for all along? It was for God to be with us. But we get stuck in Torah obedience. However, God is always leading people to intimacy. Job, he was this Torah obedience kind of guy. He offered sacrifices for things that he thought his kids or himself might have done. But at the end, Job had intimacy. He said, my eyes have seen you. And I think the thing that we need most is what God wants the most, which is intimacy. What lament has truly taught me is that I really need God's presence more than I need his provision. In lament, I think through all my, <laughs> my different kinds of lament, God sometimes doesn't give me answers most of the time, but he does want to give me himself. I, ha I know he is near to the brokenhearted. And really, what better gift is there? Luke 11, 11 to 13, it says, Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So I thought, okay, the son asks for a fish, the father won't give him a snake. Makes sense. The father will give him his fish, right? So if I ask for healing, the father will give me my miracle, right? This verse actually says the good gift God wants to give me is himself. And I have to trust him in this journey. He wants to give me intimacy. You know, drawing God into your pain or confusion or anger in prayer and just crying out, it can't be anything other than a beautiful Christian just struggling in worship. I really hope that as a church, when we see someone snotty-nosed in the pew, or, you know, up here, like me, um, <laughs> that person will probably be me, um, that our first thought is actually, look at that strength. Look at how they worship God with their lament. And to do this corporately, it's not easy, but it's a place where we're going to find healing. I also hope that throughout this pandemic and even in all the personal peacemaking struggles, they are struggles, that Shell and Andreas have been leading us through, that God's people know how to cry out to him in both lament and hope in faithful suffering. That we would know how to relate to God in small or large seasons of pain and that we would respond in worship. For lament is worship intimately, authentically. Um, I'd like to read to you some words by Esther Fleece. Her book is also great, recommended by a good friend of mine. But it's called No More Faking Fine. <laughs> um, it's a great title. She, she was asked by one of her counselors, after dismissing her own pain, if, if one of your daughters or family members experienced the physical and emotional abuse that you have, would you be minimizing their pain? To which Esther responded, absolutely not. Of course, I would never ignore the abuse of a loved one. 
Yet sometimes we are engaged in so many other focused things, even within the church, that we lose the ability to know how to biblically care for ourselves. Lament requires acknowledging the truth of what's happened to us, the truth of what we've lost or of what will never be. And we don't minimize our pasts, and lamenting doesn't mean that we're dramatizing it. We're going to have to stop comparing our pain to others and learn instead to take our pain directly to God. Or we simply won't have authenticity in our relationship with him. We won't get anywhere. You know, abuse, it requires lament, divorce, mental illness, cancer, health issues of all kinds, bankruptcy, a pandemic, infertility, loss, disappointment, all these things, and so many more. The words, it's not really a big deal, I don't think those are words we'd ever hear out of the mouth of God. That phrase really only says that we hold ourselves to higher expectations of ourselves in grief than God himself does. The phrase only tells me that we've not learned to lament yet, thus failing to know God in the midst of our pain. You know, since we're joining together from home, I know there's some of us here, but I, I want to actually ask that we could engage in a bit of a lament practice that has meant a lot to me. Um, so I'm going to pause here and ask that you would go to your cupboard <laughs> and you would get a bowl and then you put a bit of water into it. And then you come back and sit wherever you are. As Shell says, you might be laying down, who knows. But you're going to have to hold that bowl. <laughs> and then, so I'm going to do this too. I'm going to go grab my bowl and I'll give you a moment. Here's my bowl. Um, when, when Felix was, was first, when he was sick and we weren't sure where things were going, I, I, went, I was invited by a friend to a lament service. It was like a darkened room. It was my first time really engaging in lament as worship with a bunch of people and doing it corporately. And they had a table, and in the middle of that table was a bowl filled with water. And Psalm 56, 8 was, was written um, next to the bowl. It said, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. And so as you hold this bowl, um, may it be symbolic of the way that God bottles your tears, that he knows each one of them, that he's been with you, and that they're in his book. I want to read some scriptures as you hold your bowl about how God is going to deal with our tears. Isaiah 25, 8. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. Luke 6, 21.
Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Psalm 6, 6 to 10. I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity, for the Lord has heard my voice, the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. Revelation 7, 17. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be the shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 21, four. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain because the first things have passed away. Psalm 116, seven to nine. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Let me take this last moment while you hold your bowl to pray. Thank you so much, Father, for the language of lament. Thank you that you use suffering to save the world. Thank you that I know that there is great purpose in, in our pain and that you waste none of it. I remember saying to Felix as he went through his pain, none of this will be wasted. None of it is for nothing. Thank you so much, Father, that you are with us, that you bottle our tears, that you suffered. You are familiar with our laments. In Jesus' name, amen.